We are, we are at church. It is a Sunday. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is God, given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction and in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. We are in this series. We are looking at these different events that are going on and how we know what God has equipped us with and what we know about God's Word and what we know about how God responds and what God does and all of these things. And you know what the underlying thing is? It comes back to Scripture. Everything comes back to Scripture. It's understanding who He is, what He's done, and why He's done it. That's what we look at. And so in this, we begin to look at this idea of healing. What is God's will in the area of healing? And so we have to ask this question. What is God's will when it comes to healing? Is it God's will to heal all? Is it God's plan that people would be healed supernaturally? And as I've been doing here over the last few weeks, I've read you guys a, a testimony of one. Here's one I've got right now. This happened just a few years ago, uh, about 10 years ago, not even quite 10 years yet. There's a gal named, or a guy, Alan and Debbie Moore, and they've been in this relationship. Now, they sat underneath Andrew Womack's ministry, if you're familiar with him. Some of you guys know him, some of you don't. He's out of Colorado. Uh, good dude. Got some great teaching out there. So anyway, they were at their house, and they, they worked for Kenneth Copeland Ministries at the time. They both worked 10-hour shifts. And so he went outside. It was a super hot day. And uh, she was inside, and she just felt like she needed to go outside. And she goes out there, and her husband is laying there at the foot of the driveway, unresponsive. Didn't know what was going on. She immediately started praying, and, and as any good woman, is like, you are not leaving me. That was the end-all, be-all. Probably because the grass needed mowed or something. Um, but anyway... So we have this example, and it's like, okay, great. So what happens? Well, they fast forward. They, she calls the ambulance. She begins praying. All of this stuff is going on. And here's what it says. Because of the many hours that she and Alan had spent listening and learning about God's plan for healing through Walmart's ministry, there was not a struggle whatsoever to keep their emotions in check. And that is the key. Because you can be moved by what you see. You can be moved by what you hear. You can be moved by what you feel. The thing is, is you have to be moved by what you know, right? So, I mean, we've all experienced different things like the sensation of falling, as an example. The sensations that we have. Sometimes our feelings don't line up. They teach pilots to not trust what you feel, trust what the instruments tell you. The reason they do that is because what they feel may not be accurate and very likely isn't. Now... I think you can see where this is going, right? But the problem is, is we are oftentimes moved by what we feel. So she sat in the waiting room, and she's waiting on him and all of this stuff, and she has had complete peace. And so she's sitting there praying, and she's like, she's just going to read Romans 8. And it says, verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And she never looked back. She just knew that he was going to be fine. And so as the doctors come in, they're saying, listen, it doesn't look good. He's paralyzed completely on his left side. His peripheral vision is gone. Uh, we don't know if he'll ever respond to this. He's not even going to be able to walk. And um, she just refused to listen. And they were getting a little agitated with her because she refused to listen. She's like, are, are you listening to what I'm saying here? So when they asked her to repeat the diagnosis, all of that, she said, I don't know. She's like, I don't care what your report is. I am focusing on what God has said. And God has made Alan whole. So he's completely paralyzed, all of this stuff going on. And so 
basically they said they didn't know if he'd ever walk again. She didn't flinch. Two days after the stroke, his arm flies up spontaneously, just kind of goes up in the air. Left arm, not supposed to do that. Said that can't be possible. They didn't know how to respond to that. But she said, well, the left side of his body isn't paralyzed anymore. Three days after the stroke, they came to test his vision. And he passed with flying colors, even the peripheral vision. They said that wasn't working. This is three days later. Then they got him reading. He was talking just fine. Um, And then on day four, he had to go to the bathroom. He's got more tubes in him than anything he'd ever experienced in his life. So he got up and removed the tubes and walked to the bathroom. You want to know how you get a nurse's attention? You remove the tubes. So come flying in, all these women, he's in the bathroom, and they're like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm going to the bathroom. He's like, how did you get there? I walked. And they're like, they're looking around because they thought somebody had to have helped him. There's nobody else in the room. And on day five, he walked out and never had another problem again. Now, here's the thing. Is that a supernatural experience? Sure. What did she do? She kept her emotions in check. She stood on what she knew. You see, that's when they come into like military. You trust your training. You trust what you know. The problem we have in the body of Christ today is we don't know this. We don't trust it. We're not sure what it says. We waffle on it. We move around a lot with it. We're just not 100% sure. We know it says certain things, but when our experiences don't match, we begin to change our experiences. We begin or change our theology to meet our experience. And that's the hard part. So we have to understand what God's plan was. And God's plan was is that he paid for the entirety of what we have done. And so when we look at our responsibility in this, we look at Jesus as our example. First of all, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says, We are ambassadors for Christ. As God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Whose behalf is that on? It's God's. He wants all to be saved, to come to the saving knowledge. It is for his benefit. Did he create in the beginning with Adam and Eve? He said, listen, the children that are born first, I'm going to like them more, and I want a relationship with them, but those who come after them, no, I don't want them. No, he intended for all of his creation to be working in harmony together as a part of his family. And so it grieves his heart when people refuse his love and his fellowship. So we look at Jesus as our example. What did Jesus do? Well, we've been doing this, and I meant to roll this over here, but we've looked at this. Jesus went around, he taught, he preached, he healed, he ultimately died and resurrected. So in in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Jesus went all Galilee teaching the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria. They brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, he healed them. Matthew 20, verse 28 says, Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and he gave his life as a ransom for many. So we see what he did, but the why is the question that we left off with is he was moved with compassion. In Matthew 9, verse 35, he went to all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel, healing every sickness and every disease. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary, that means tired. They were scattered, that means they were all over the place. They were sheep with no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He was asking Pray to God, because we've got work to do. It grieved his heart. It grieved him seeing his people in the position that they were. They were rejecting him. They were rejecting truth. 
Why? Because their training was wrong. The theology of the day is that when Messiah comes, he's not coming as a sacrificial lamb. He's coming as a reigning king. That's how he's coming. And so when we look at this, we've got to say, okay, if Christ was our example, then what should we be doing? We should be doing all of these things, and why should we be doing it? It's for the same reason. It should break your heart when you hear about somebody who doesn't know the Lord. Like, your heart should break when you see them in the state they are, because you know what? You were once there, too. Have you ever noticed that when you've experienced some sort of a trauma, be it a car accident, perhaps you've had a miscarriage, maybe you've gone through cancer and overcome and all of that, and you hear about somebody having it, your heart grieves more because you have experience in that. We should be the same way when it comes to those who are lost. It was like, I, you know, I told you guys last week of that young lady that was killed in a car wreck, 21 years old, leaves behind two babies, you know, all this is a sad, sad deal. And so I went to the funeral Friday, and the pastor there was preaching, and he says, I am, you know, we take comfort knowing that she is in the hands of Jesus, because whenever you die, that's where you go. Is that a true statement? No. There's probably four or five hundred people sitting there that day that walked away with comfort saying, yep, when we die, we go to heaven. And that's not the case. They're being led astray. They're sheep with no shepherd. What did Paul say? Follow me as I follow Christ. So he's an example of Christ. Jesus is an example of the Father. He is God here on earth. And he gives a mission to his followers. In John chapter 13, verse 31, and this is where we're going to start today. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give you, to love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now we have to define that. Because he said there is a marker that will separate you as a disciple of mine from everybody else. And it is this love, this mercy, this compassion for one another. Because when they hurt, we hurt. Our hearts should break for what breaks God's heart. That is the lost, that is the sick, that is the dying. And what are we moved with compassion for? Not much. Because when you're moved with compassion, you will act upon that conviction. But we don't. We play church. We go and we feel better because we attend. But we're not on the mission of the gospel. Our lives aren't centered around Christ. We fit Christ into a part of our life that we feel comfortable letting Him into. And then we justify our behaviors. And then we change the word to make it match our experience. And we'll go into these places like, boy, I sure wish God would send somebody there. I wish somebody would talk to him. Lord, send somebody to that person. You ever stop to think that maybe the person saying that prayer might be that person? Because we're too intimidated. We're too moved by fear instead of compassion. We make up a million excuses. You know the one thing we are really good at? We're really good at excuses. You ever had kids? They make excuses for everything. It's, it's insane. Why did you eat all of that? I was hungry. No, you weren't. You were bored. 
Now we have no food. Thanks a lot. So as we get into this, we begin to look, it's like we should be doing what Jesus did because Jesus was our example. And we should be moved in the same way that Jesus was because Jesus was our example. And there's a mandate that went with this. In Mark chapter 16, verse 14, it says, Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who he had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. In my name they will speak with new tongues. In my name they will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. And in my name... They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now, you understand when I say in my name, it's not written there, but it is implied. Because this corresponds with everything that comes with it. Why was it in his name? As we are his ambassadors, it's as if God is pleading through him, let me tell you what God has said, what God has done. You see, this is the mark of a disciple. Who is the disciple? Anybody who believes. That's the key there. Can you pull that verse back up? He says, go into the world and preach the gospel. He who believes. This is anybody who believes the message of the gospel. They will do these things. They will follow them who believe. As they go out and do what? Preach the gospel. See, among the signs of the Messianic era, Isaiah predicted that the sick would be healed. And that mute tongues would speak. And that lame people would walk. When you're young and you hear lame, what do you think of? Your parents, they're not cool. That's not what he's talking about. Isaiah chapter 35 verse 4 says, Say to those who are fearful hearted, Be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. There was an expectation that he, being God, will come and save you. And when that happens, the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be opened. The lame will get up and walk. All of these things that we're expecting from him. But with that, it says God's people would be his witnesses. All of them. Isaiah 43, verse 7. Everyone who was called by my name. Now, at this point, who are we talking about? It's, well, it's the nation of Israel. Because these were the followers of Yahweh. What did he say in the Ten Commandments? Do not take my name in vain. That does not mean don't use it as a cuss word. That's good advice. That's not the Ten Commandments. It means do not take on my name because Israel was God's representative on the earth. As a nation, they were set apart. If they obeyed his commandments, they would be blessed. And if they didn't, they would be cursed. And both of those were signs of the good and bad of not obeying or obeying Yahweh. So, Everyone who was called by my name means every Israelite underneath that covenant. It also meant every Gentile that became a proselyte and came into the nation. So everyone who was called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Verse 8, bring out the blind people who have eyes and deaf who have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together. And let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring out their witnesses that they may be justified. Or let them hear and say, it is truth. You are my witnesses. Who is you? His people. The nation of Israel. They were his witnesses, says the Lord. 
And my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and saved, I have proclaimed, and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. This was the mark that they were to be his example. But when Messiah came, Those who were blind would see, those who were lame would leap, those who were deaf would hear, those who were mute would speak. There was an expectation that the followers of Yahweh, which is all of us, would be His example throughout all the earth. Does that match up with what we just read? Oh, you better believe it. You see, the power attributed to believers characterized in Mark 16 many of the Old Testament prophets. In fact, you can see that all throughout Acts. Let's read Mark 16, verse 15. It says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's a commandment. What part of the world do we leave out? None. What part of your world have you left out? I won't go any further with that. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. These signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpent. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Does it say might to any of these? It does not. It is an expectation as you go out and preach the gospel that these signs will follow you because you are a believer in Yeshua. What have we turned this into? We have to go to church. And we hope to see some signs. But that's not how it works. You may not have noticed this, but the world does not come to church. So why did we turn this into some sort of event about us where if we could just get them to church, then they would hear the truth. Then they would hear the gospel. Where did that come from? Not Scripture. Not Jesus. I'm not telling you don't invite unsaved friends. I'm saying that that's not the plan. It says to go, not invite. But it goes beyond this. In Mark 16, verse 19, it says, So then, so this is right after that, after the Lord has spoken to them, he was received up into heaven. And he sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and they preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. So, to his disciples he gave this mandate. What did they do? They did what he did. They went out, they preached everywhere, the Lord was with them, and the word was confirmed through these signs. What did Jesus do? He came with the message, he taught, he preached, he healed. He was moved with compassion. Do you guys see the connection? Is everybody getting this? I want to make sure you're with me. Because the reason they did it is because they loved Jesus. They loved Jesus because he laid down their life, his life for them. They ultimately laid down their lives for him. Now, there's something in here that's unique that we have to catch what's going on. Because many of the times when you talk about people who don't preach the gospel, okay, is because they'll make up a series of excuses. I'm not a good speaker, and I can understand that. It is tough sometimes to talk to strangers. I understand that. It's also sometimes harder to talk to family members. It's sometimes harder to talk to neighbors and people you do know. But if you knew that inside of you was the ability to do anything that God has given you, Would you do it? The authority to do anything. And if I convinced you that it wasn't your job to convince anybody, would that change the way that you thought? In other words, our job is to do what? It's to preach the gospel. Does it say persuade? Does it say convince? No. Who does that? The Holy Spirit. Hmm. We try to be Him, don't we? 
It's our job to lay hands on the sick. Who does the healing? Not you. But it's in you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. So, to a Jewish and Greek reader this time, this is familiar terms. Because here you have a great hero in Jesus. And what happens? He ascends into heaven. This is just like any of the old Greek myths that were out there, Hercules, things like that. Actually, a post-biblical like Jewish tradition is that Moses himself ascended into heaven. We know that's not true, but it was one of the things that were there. So that's not that big of a deal. Just somebody picking up the Bible at this time and reading this to be like, oh yeah, just like all these other guys that I've read about. But there is something in there that is very unique because it says he sat down at the right hand of God. And for Jesus to do this goes beyond, way beyond this idea. Because it's at the right hand of the king, you are his representative agent. You have the ear of the king. You can make declarations on behalf of the king. The position to a ruler's right was always of great honor and great authority. To be seated at God's right hand was to be enthroned as the ruler of all creation. This is all the gods, not just Yahweh. But this is undergirded in the text. Do we know that Jesus sat at the right hand of the Father? We do from Mark 16. We do from many other places. Let me read you a few of these. In Psalm 110, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So this was a prophecy. Remember, Jesus argued with them because he's like, did David say this about himself or somebody else? In Acts chapter 2, verse 32, it says that Jesus, this Jesus that God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. That's powerful because he said we watched it. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says to himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So once again, we have a confirmation of an Old Testament passage showing us exactly what was meant here. But he was exalted, lifted up to the right hand of the Father. This is a big deal. Let's look at it another place. Matthew chapter 26, verse 64. Jesus said to him, It is as you said, nevertheless I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So where was he going to sit? The right hand of the Father. Hebrews 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels. Where is He sitting? The right hand of the Father. Now, we talk about this in a temple statement, is that there were no seats in the temple. This implies that the work is done, because there was no more temple to be serviced. Jesus has taken care of all of that, and that is true. But where he is seated matters. As the high priest sitting down means the work is complete, and the work was never complete. But where he was seated is it matters. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. There is also an antitype which now saves us baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to Him. So, Father, Son, everybody else. You guys picking this up? 
I'm not done. Romans chapter 8, verse 34, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. We have it again. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Now, question for you. I know we've read a lot. This is going to be a tough one. I'm going to test you here, see if you were paying attention. Where is Jesus seated? Good. You're still awake. I appreciate that. That means nothing to you and I. It means everything to them because we don't get it. We sit on the left side. Like, do you not like left-handed people? What's the problem here? But this isn't so much a location as it is an authority. The creator of all things has given authority over to his son. It all belongs to him until I make your enemies your footstool. All of this has been given to him. He's at the right hand of God. And what's he do? He's interceding for us. Why does that matter? He's got the ear of the king. He's there. All authority has been given to him through this. You talk about these Old Testament uh, people like Joseph. He had a lot of authority under the king. David had a lot of authority as the king. Not David, but Daniel. That's what I was thinking. Daniel had a lot of authority given to him by Nebuchadnezzar. What convinced everybody? All the things that were said, all the prophecy, the signs and wonders, the things that took place. They had authority, and so when they spoke, people had to listen. Now, we've seen this happen before Jesus ascended. Because his authority, he could give out. In Luke chapter 10, we know what happened. He sends the 70 out. He gives you authority. I said, go into the city, teach, preach, heal, do all of these things. If they won't listen, wipe the dust off your feet and move on. But in chapter 10, verse 17, as they're coming back, it says the 70 returned with joy, saying, even the demons are subject to us in your name. See, there was an authority there that they have never experienced. Because you could see people get healed supernaturally. There was the whole pool of Siloam. They would stir the, the pool and all of that. There were things that took place, but not at their hands. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He gave them authority, did he not? Over what? Not bugs. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In other words, don't rejoice about the authority that you have. That is the fruit of being an ambassador for him. Rejoice that you are an ambassador for him. This just happens. In John chapter 14, verse 10, it says, Do not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in, in me. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So, what do we see here? He who believes in me, the works. Why? Because the authority had been given to the, from the Father to the Son. The Son gave the authority to His disciples. That authority still reigns. Now here's the question. Why do we walk around with our heads down as if this doesn't exist today? Part of it is is because we don't believe it. Imagine a cop pulling you over because you were speeding, but he's not convinced that he has the authority to write you a ticket. What can you do? Talk him out of it. Some of you can do it anyway. 
I can't. You see, there's something about knowing the authority, and with that comes responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. Did you see Spider-Man? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, no? Tough crowd. See, let's look at this. See, Jesus being at the right hand of the Father matters, and it matters to you and I more than what you may have picked up on before, and that's what I want to show you today. Because when I make statements such as that we are expected to go and do these things, it's not like, oh, you have to have an anointing, you have to have a calling. No, this is everyone who believes. Not believes in the gifts, but believes in Him, is expected to act upon this because there is a mission from God that we are on. You have to know that you have the authority to go in there and trample on serpents and scorpions and do all of these things. Otherwise, you know what you'll do? Nothing. You'll wait for somebody else. You guys ever seen the TV shows and stuff like that? What happens when they, they, somebody comes up and steals a purse and they look over and there's a cop there? Where do they yell? They yell to the one with the authority. They're looking for somebody with authority. Here's the thing. All of us have that authority. Let me show you why. Colossians chapter 1 verse 3. You get nothing else out of this today. I want you to get this. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which was laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it is also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. I'm going to stop for a second. So they are thankful because of these individuals in Colossae who have come to faith in Christ. Since they heard about their faith in Christ Jesus and the love that they have for all the saints, which is everybody. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, which is the one day we will be with the Father. Of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. How did they hear about it? Somebody preached. Imagine for a moment... Do you guys realize that we are all byproducts of Paul's ministry? You ever thought about that? You can trace your spiritual heritage all the way back to one of the disciples. Imagine if they'd taken a day off. Imagine if Paul said, I don't want to go to Ephesus. You ever been there? But he didn't. Let's go on. Verse 7, as you have also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who has also, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Who is Epaphras? Who cares? He's a name. And what did he do? He was their fellow servant, and he was a faithful minister of Christ. So what are the markers of Epaphras? The only things that matter. He was a fellow servant with all the apostles, and he was a faithful minister of Christ. If nothing else ends up on your tombstone, wouldn't that be wonderful? For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now, there is so much that's been said here. And we always read these so fast. Would you all slow down, please? I know I read them fast, but that's so you can go home. 
But when you go home and read it, read it slower. For what reason were they grateful? All the things that came before them. Because of this, since the moment they heard it, they have not stopped to pray for them. And to ask that they would be filled with what? Knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Do you guys realize how fortunate we are to live in the era that we do? Because understanding God's will means you get on Amazon and you buy a Bible and you read it. That was not what they had. That was not the experience that they experienced. So he prayed for them that you may walk worthy of the Lord. In other words, do not take his name in vain. Many of us are guilty of that. Fully pleasing him. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Many of us are yet to do these things. We're strengthened with all might according to what? His glorious power. Whose power? His power. Not your power. We're strengthened by His power. All patience and long-suffering joy, giving thanks to the Father who qualified us. And now because of that, that we have been qualified by Him, we are partakers of the inheritance in all things. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Can I get an amen? Can we stop taking that for granted, if nothing else? How grateful we should be that God saw it fit to send His Son in the world and that somebody had enough boldness to preach the gospel to us. Because we look out in the world and we see people dying and sick and all of this and we're not moved with compassion. But you know what? That was once us. We need to be grateful for this. Now verse 15 is where it gets interesting. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. So he was the image of God on this earth. We can see him. He's the firstborn, which is a status of all creation. By him, this being Jesus... All things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. So who created all things? Jesus. Whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, okay? These are earthly reign and spiritual reigns. He's over all of that. All things were created through him and for him. Who created all things? He did. For whom? Himself. And He is before all things. In Him, all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. Now, this is where we get the idea, the body of Christ. We kind of think that is just some sort of cute enigma, some, some phrase that we use, but He is the head of the body. You've got the head You've got the body. What is the body? Fortunately, Paul told us, it is the church. What is that? The ecclesia. Those who are born again, gathering together. We are his body. Okay? Have you ever seen a headless body? If you had, don't tell me. But they don't work well separated. Let's just put it that way. Okay? So, he's the head, we're the body. Your body does nothing that the head doesn't tell it to do. Okay? If your child... God blessed their souls, came up, and they smacked their sister. This isn't real life stuff, okay? Just, this is just an example, right? And you went to them, and you said, why did you do that? And if they said something to the effect of, I don't know, my hand just did it. <laughs> Would you believe them? 
I hope not. Why did you do that? I don't know. My hand has a mind of its own. No, it doesn't. I question whether your head has a mind of its own. So think about that. Everything that the body does as a result of a commandment from the head. Fair enough? That's why we don't justify dumb things we say and do. We must own them. If we screw up, we must own it. If we sin, did we make a conscious decision to sin? Yes. Ultimately, yes. We had an opportunity to not. We chose to do it. So don't make some excuse. Just own it. Right? Repent from it. Move on from it. So we've got the head... We've got the body, two distinct things, but one does not work well without the other. I won't say it won't work at all because somebody just told me about a chicken that they cut the head off and it lived for like four or five years later or something, and he accidentally like choked it to death, sticking corn down the neck hole. Am I the only one that heard this story? Anybody? Else? Okay. I guess they could have been making this up. Is this a true thing? This was Raleigh telling me this, and you know, he's Jewish, so you got to take that into account. That's a joke, y'all. That's not, jeez, Louise. Uh, yeah, I'd never heard that before, so I don't know how that works, but apparently it does. So when we look at this, we're going to, again, we're looking at what Jesus is doing. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, okay? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So how are you blessed with every spiritually, uh, spiritual blessing? It is through Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption of sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he has purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of time, of the full, uh, dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Now, this is good, because how does all of this take place? It's always in him. That is the key. If you aren't in Christ, none of this applies. Only in Him do we have all of these things. So should we be thankful to Him? Should our behavior, should our actions, should the things we say and do be a result of this gratefulness? Absolutely. Should we be doing these things because we are grateful? Absolutely. Should we be compassionate with those who don't have these because of what He's done for us? Absolutely. We should be grateful in all of these things. It is in Him. Verse 11. In Him also we have attained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who were first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Here we go, verse 13. In Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. What did they hear? The preaching, the teaching. How did they hear it? Well, somebody stepped up and did it, didn't they? In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Therefore, so because of all of this, 
I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And what did he do? Seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now let's stop for a minute. All of this Paul is thankful for because of what happened. And he prays for them that for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That their eyes and understanding would be enlightened. That they know the hope of his calling and of the riches of the glory of His inheritance, the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who do what? Who believe. So does this qualify all of us? Yeah, if we believe in Him. According to the working of His mighty power. What was that mighty power? We watched it when Christ was raised from the dead. And then what did He do? He seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. There's that authority. Far above. All principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So, we see him seated at the right hand. What is Christ over? Everything. If it has a name, and it does, Christ is over it. That should change our thinking a little bit. Because that is authority that's been given to him. Verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is what? His body. His believers. So he is head over all things to the believing body. That's where his authority lies. Look at chapter 2. You he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of, air, of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Do you see him making a distinction between them, unbelievers, and us, believers? But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Did you catch something there? Where are we seated? We're seated at the right hand of the Father. This is not a headless body floating up there. That implies something. We have the authority of the King. You see, just as Jesus on the earth had the authority on earth given to him by the Father, he was God's representative on earth. That mantle has now been passed to us as Christ represented on earth. Why? Because the head is seated next to the Father on the right hand, as is the body. And if that is true, 
then that means that all authority over every power, every spiritual force, every name that has been named has been given to us. Now here's the question. What are we going to do about it? What have we done thus far? And I'm using we loosely. I don't mean anybody in this room directly. We as the church in America, we attend service, and then we attend service. And occasionally we read our Bible, and occasionally we'll pray, but then we attend service. And we feel good about ourselves because we're doing something. But it's more about what has been done than anything else. You see, what has been done is Jesus came down and He taught and He preached, He healed, He ultimately died, He was resurrected, showing the power of God. He did all of that because of His compassion for all of those who were lost. It broke His heart. He would go after that one sheep that went astray. He'd go after any one of them, any one of us. But then He ascended on high after giving a mandate, seated at the right hand of the Father, and guess what? We as His body are seated there as well. So that authority that resides with Christ is in us. The question is, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to be the cop who doesn't know his authority, doesn't know what's been handed to him, doesn't know the power that's in his hand? Are we going to be those who go out and do something? You see, there is a distinction in the body of Christ today. It doesn't mean they're not born again. It just means that they've lost the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father was to send His Son, this was all planned out before the foundation of the world, to take care of all of this. Adam and Eve's job was to be fruitful, to multiply, expand the garden. Expand the kingdom of God. That's what the garden was. Our job is the exact same thing. The difference is, we're not doing it. I mean, you think about this. How many people, just don't give me a number, in the last six months, how many people have you intentionally gone to for no other reason than you want to share the love of Christ with them? Either through sharing the gospel, because you know they need it, by ministering to them, by laying hands, or whatever the case may be. Intentionally. Not you were walking through the grocery store and somebody walked up and you say, hey, are you one of those Jesus followers? Because I got questions. That ever happened to anybody? Me either. Think about that. I mean, what are we here to do? We get so caught up in our day-to-day lives that we've lost the heart in the mission of God. We get caught up in our businesses, our farms, our jobs, our, our friends, our family. That's, there's nothing wrong with those things. But all of that should be on mission with you. I remember when I was in high school, I, 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 I worked roofing, okay? I was not good at it. didn't last long. I didn't get asked to come back, okay? But I was putting on shingles with this guy. Well, I was mainly the tear-off crew. And uh, there's this guy I went to school with, and we, it was during the 90s when those revivals were taking place, and every night we were at church, and we were there late and stuff, and we had to be at the job site early in the morning. And I was tired, but man, I was energetic. And I'm working with this guy, and we're tearing off shingles. And I just, I couldn't help myself. I just kept sharing the gospel with him. And he just kept asking questions. And I just, I couldn't help myself. And, and uh, I knew the boss wouldn't be happy if I took the time to share the gospel and not tear off the roof while he was gone. So we just kept working. And I just kept sharing the gospel with him. And I kept telling him about all of these different things. And he had all sorts of questions and stuff. And I just couldn't help myself. Because it's like, there was something in me in that moment that's like, man, I just, I have to share this with somebody. And it's, 
sad that we don't have that anymore, that we've lost that. You see, all authority has been given to Jesus, and we are his body. That means that authority lies in us. With great authority comes great responsibility. We have to do, we're going to answer to God for all the times we didn't share the gospel and all the times we didn't lay hands on people. Do you realize that the results are not your responsibility? The obedience to the mandate is. We've got to get back on track. Do you guys see this? Do you guys see this authority? This is crucial because it's kind of like if you guys ever lifted weights, Adam, you used to lift weights all the time, right? He used to. I used to bench press a small car, maybe a big car, I don't know. But like, and Adam, maybe you've experienced, I experienced this, but you know, you've been training for a while, and you kind of have your eye on this max, like I want to hit this number. And every once in a while, your training has exceeded that number, you didn't know it, and you went under, and you go underneath that bar, and you pull it down, and you lift it up, you're like, oh my goodness, I had no idea I could do that. Throw some more weight on. That's how weightlifters think, right? And you're like shocked. I can't believe it. What happens if we get that same mindset? It's like, the authority is in me. All i got to do is act on it. Do you realize that the more you do it, the easier it gets? Do you realize that your percentage ratio of people being healed by laying hands on them goes up significantly by laying hands on people? Because you know how many people you get healed by not laying hands on them? It's 100% effective. See, that's the thing. We don't think like that. We're too intimidated. We're not bold. The authority of Jesus, we are, we are Jesus on this earth. We've got to begin to act like it. Because around you and around me are people who are lost and dying and 21-year-olds losing their lives in a car wreck with two little babies. Wouldn't you feel better if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt at least that person was in heaven? I sure would. I can't say that. You see, the love of Christ and the compassion that he had for us has grown cold in our hearts. It's time we get back on track. It is time that we get back to the purpose. We're watching the Smith Wigglesworth. If you guys know who he is, he was kind of a fireball. Um, quite an evangelist, quite a story. But he feared the day was coming when we wouldn't see the supernatural things happening on earth. I don't know if he specifically mentioned America. Because there were so many other things we could turn to to take the place of God in our lives, mainly talking about healing. You know, it's really easy to get a Tylenol. The last thing we do is pray. We've got to start to think different. We're going to build upon this in the next few weeks, so let's, let's pray. We'll get out of here. Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done and all the authority that you've given us and everything that you have done for us is by your might and your power that we are here today. It's your compassion on us that while we were sinners, you sent your Son. You loved us so much, even where we were, undeserved of it, Lord. And you poured out that mercy upon us. May you quicken our hearts to see people the way you do. May that compassion burn so brightly in us that we can't help but share that, that love, that, that mercy, that, those healing powers. Lord, we just, we just thank you that we will become less me-focused and more focused on you on who you are and what you've done, Lord, that you are glorified in every aspect of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great week. We will see you Wednesday.